I'm Gabriel Stelian Shanks, the Artistic Director of the Drama League in New York City. Welcome to Talking Direction, the behind-the-scenes podcast going deep into the worlds of theater, film, television, and online content to celebrate directors, those visionary artists at the center of the plays, musicals, movie, and television shows enjoyed around the world. Each week, we welcome acclaimed guests to explore imagination, risk-taking, and craft as well as looking at the past, present, and future of the creative industries. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. We're available on all platforms or by visiting dramaleague.org. Thanks for listening and for talking direction. This conversation was recorded during the ballot counting for the 2020 presidential election. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Direction. I'm Nylan the Associate Artistic Director of the Drama League. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm your host today. So we're going to be talking about undergraduate directing programs today. And before we get started with that, we just need to say that we know there are 101 ways to become a director. Uh, Some directors are self-taught. Some take the apprenticing route. Some learn while pursuing an entirely different career or major. And others, well, they hone their skills from a graduate and or undergraduate program. Obtaining a Bachelor's of Arts or a Bachelor's of Fine Arts is a popular and trusted option for many aspiring artists. Now, with the changing landscape of the American theater and the new demands on the job of director, it makes us curious about what is being taught at these institutions. You know, how do these programs mold the directors of tomorrow? And what responsibility do they have to their alumni to help them enter the workforce? Now, we've reached out to some of the top theater undergraduate programs across the U.S. offering directing as a major to answer some of these questions. Today, you will hear from colleges and universities across the Midwest and the South. So let's meet our guest today. From Avila University, we have Professor Matt Schwader-Harbor. How are you, Matt? I'm great. Thanks for having me. From Belmont University, we have Professor Paul Gutrell. How are you, Paul? I'm great. Thank you for having me. From Samford University, we have Professor Mark Castle. How are you, Mark? I'm great. Thank you. Glad to be here. And last but not least, we have from Webster University, Professor Douglas Finlayson. Hey, Doug. Hey. How about we begin with figuring out who is collecting in person? All of these institutions are outside of our metropolis, and you're not on top of each other. So who gets to still um, teach in person, or are you teaching in some type of hybrid, some days on, some days off approach? Matt, let's begin with you at Avila University. Sure. Uh, well, we are as hybrid as you can get right now. <laughs> Our, as far as classes go, we, we're definitely uh, hybrid. We've moved towards uh, classrooms being in the theater, so we have a much larger space. Um, we uh, were able to uh, to purchase PPE and technology, which allowed us to put um, cameras in the theater space and a large television so that students could take class both face-to-face um, and remote. And the face-to-face version, of course, uh, everybody was socially distanced. So we painted out a big grid on our stage and uh, students had their own squares and their own spaces, which to be honest with you, 
worked so well when it came to teaching and coaching movement that I think I'm going to keep that long after the pandemic is over. It was a very, very handy tool. Um, but then we uh, made sure that our students had technology uh, at home if they weren't able to come in. So we have uh, um, we, we ordered cameras and computers for students who needed. And uh, and so we, we've been doing it both. Uh, and then we upload it to a private uh, YouTube page for students who, for any reason whatsoever, might not be able to have attended class that day. They can still view the class and then respond uh, within 48 hours to, for it to count for for uh, attendance. Um, so we, we've really sort of planned for every occasion. Paul, what's the plan at Belmont University? I have to say we did exactly the same thing. Uh, very similar circumstances, and so far it's been a very successful a uh, very high flex semester. Mark, let's go to you at Samford. We are doing almost 95% of our classes in person. For students who can't be there for whatever reason, we do have the technology to support that and they do a similar thing where they, where they observe the class afterwards and respond to it. Um, but most of our classes are human beings in a room together, even though the room is a little bit larger and we're a little bit further apart from each other. Let's go to you, Doug. What's happening at Webster? Well, first of all, I have to confess that I am on sabbatical, but I was watching carefully because I didn't think much was going to change by spring when I returned. And I was very impressed when we did Canfield Drive um, as our season opener. Um, it's a little strange to watch students on stage with masks, um, but I would say I was proud of the department for continuing to find a way to produce theater in these strange times. It may feel like I'm beginning this conversation from the end, but to start, we need to think like an aspiring student. Choosing a specific school for training comes with an expectation of the experience. They are paying for it. I talk to a lot of students who aspire to go to college and those in the thick of their collegiate journey. And what's a common thread is their expectation that they are going to get a leg up in business. That going to this specific school, getting this specific training will provide some magical gateway into the workforce. How do you address this expectation at your program? Um, this is Doug. Um at Webster, and I'm speaking um, from before the pandemic, I think that the issues that the students are going to face moving forward are going, it's going to require us to think in a different way. Um, Webster has the unusual um, uh, position of um, being housed along the Lort Theater in St. Louis. The Repertory Theater St. Louis is in our building. Um, and we are only an undergraduate program. And what I have observed over the years is that the connection to that professional um, theater company has helped tremendously in getting our students at least ready for what it means to be a professional. It doesn't necessarily equal a job when you get out, um, but it has prepared them for what it looks like when you go to New York or LA because of the actors who work at the rep are coming in from major metropolitan areas to, to work in the theater. Um, now, in terms of directing, I think it's, it's trickier because I'm an undergraduate program as, I, as all of us are, and it's not likely that uh, a theater uh, of any 
size is going to hire a 22-year-old director right out of the gate. They might, but it, it's not likely. So we're oftentimes looking at assistant directing as a great opportunity to observe um, and programs um, and internships that allow young people to get involved. My, my philosophy with the students is that ask anything, all they can say is no. And it's a lot easier to ask anything when you're 22. Once you've come out of a graduate program and you're 35 uh, and you ask, it seems like it's a little trickier, but the, the innocence of a 22-year-old asking to do something, I feel like all they can say is no. And that, that has actually proven to um, help students in the past who've asked to assist or to talk to someone, and people are very generous. Uh, yeah, this is Matt from Avila. Uh, I... I'm sure we all share a, a similar perspective when it comes to the, I guess, maybe the idea of a pipeline. I, I can't call it a magical <laughs> pipeline necessarily. Um, I think it's a bit of a system, and I think we, we're we all sort of aware of it, that, that it's about access, right? And uh, with our university, with many universities, students have an opportunity to work alongside with not just only the educators that are with that university, but like with us, we have adjunct professors from the community. So we have Gene uh, uh, Mackey, who is the artistic director of Theater for Young America here in Kansas City. He teaches some of our directing classes. We hire directors and producers from professional theaters in town like Kansas City Rep, uh, Heart of America Shakespeare Festival, Kansas City Actors Theater to direct our shows and, and teach in classes. So students get an opportunity to have access um, so that they're not only learning the discipline of the art, but they're also learning real-time trends uh, and what's happening in the world around them. And I think that that is something that universally, most, most universities, college uh, theater programs really aim for. Um, I would say that uh, one thing that, that we really try to do is integrate that access from day one. Um, we... We not only uh, aim for them to, to shoot for that with an internship, which they do in their senior year, but we make sure that uh, students are having opportunities to take master classes with our guests uh, as early as freshmen. Um, actually, in fact, this year we started even before class because we wanted to get students an opportunity to work with cameras. So we, we, we were even having a pre-semester class where uh, students had access to doing something like that. But it's really about fostering those um, those opportunities where those students who are interested in directing are able to work alongside with a director as an assistant to the director and then making that path towards internships. And I always encourage students too, not only internships when it comes to assistant directing, but to work in the administrative side, learn what it's like for a casting director and how a casting director works with a director. Sit in in those auditions where a director is, 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 taking in uh, and how they select and choose casts. Uh, that's all a big part of the, the, of the process um, that a lot of times you don't get when you're in school because everybody knows each other and how working with each other. So uh, we really try to set up opportunities for our students to really from day one get integrated into the local community. And I, I know I'm talking a little bit here, but I'll say this real quick too. When you talk about um, what does a an undergraduate do as a with a directing concentration as a BFA from our program, and then they leave, one of the big things that we're really focusing on with our students, as you should with almost I think any arts student, is that you have to create the art. Um, Kansas City, and particularly in the face I think of COVID, um, people aren't necessarily traveling the country like they were, you know, six months ago, ten months ago, right? 
And so they're starting to stay home, which is wonderful for Kansas City because Kansas City is a growing theater scene anyway. And they're starting to create their own art. And when you're able to create your own art and cultivate a community, you start to to not only hone your own skills and your own perspective and, and develop your own chops, but then you start to build those relationships with, with those larger organizations that help you make your way up. Yeah, I, this is Paul. Because we're an undergraduate director training program, our intent is not really to train a student to become an immediate professional once they walk out the door. The goal is, is as our accrediting body states, that we need to uh, ensure their directing student is looking at a seven-year program, looking at that graduate degree somewhere down the road to finish their sort of formalized director training. Um, with that, we do do uh, a lot of multidisciplined approach to our training. We're training our directors to also work as a dramaturg, to learn the skill set of a stage manager, uh, those sort of things that they're going to work so closely with when they are directing. And we have a very entrepreneurial uh, program here. Uh, again, similar to the other programs that have been listed, our students are going out and creating their own art. We've had four different groups of directors start their own theater companies here in Nashville uh, successfully, still still in um, working order, even with the pandemic. So we're finding our directors moving out and creating their own companies and creating their own work much more successfully than going on to graduate school at this point. Yeah, this is Mark, but I think it's a really important part in between that often our what MFA directing programs are looking for is someone with some professional experience. And so that, that intermediate step of the internship of the assistant directing role at a professional company is, is really good. And so that's a lot of the places that we try to point our directors in terms of creating a pipeline. I'd also say pipeline seems to me a very direct metaphor, whereas there's such diversity in the way that, that students make their way from one, from our program to other opportunities around the country and around the world is that it, it doesn't, it looks less like a, a, a pipeline and more perhaps like a, a series of networks uh, that are created, you know, where you, where you move into different cities or different uh, parts of the country. And so there's lots of different opportunities in those places. Um, but also that idea of, of creating work in this intermediate gap between, between say graduating from a program and doing additional training or getting a, a full-time professional job uh, in some way, decided that you need to can still continue to be working and so our students go on to like create their own companies but a lot of them now are also looking at diverse opportunities to work in in media that is not traditional theater in sort of the hybrid world that we're in right now where we are making work that is streamed that is digital um and so there's that sense and so one of our focuses right now is working with teams in our school that are working on projects in animation or projects in other areas where we as directors bring skills to that and then that can continue to create work in this period where many of the live venues are closed by law and can't be performing and yet we still want to be working as artists. Let's shift the conversation to talk about the training at your institutions, you know, the methodology. The U.S. at large trains directors to be interpretive artists. These artists have the ability to read, comprehend, manifest their work stemming from a playwright usually. Whereas if we were to look to our neighbors um, in countries across Europe and South America, we would find a large percentage of directors are generative artists. Directors who are constructing work using a devised process. Now, Looking 
solely at your curriculum. Um, how are you shaping the directors of tomorrow? This is Mark. If I could jump in real quick. Um, w- one of the things that um, our students are noticing is that same sort of um, opportunity to create work, that, that they see that as a, as a really exciting possibility. And so um, we have classes, you know, a, a sort of sequence of classes in beginning and advanced directing, and then there's a directing for theater for youth students um, that the students are taking, but they, they were demanding at the end of that sequence additional opportunities where they could create their own work. And so we, we began a class that started last year in, a, in effectively a, a devising class for directors. Um, and so that was something that was, that was coming from the student body pushing towards what we want to be the ones that are involved in this process. And so in, in, you know, in working with companies like, um, you know, um, doing moment work exercises and, and working with other companies outside that are, that are sort of like creating devised work, the idea that the director can be involved in that process. And that then has then found itself moving its way into their projects as they do more conventional work where that is working from a script that is, that is sort of sense derivative, but they're bringing the techniques from their devising classes into that work as a way to create a, a sort of a unique approach to what they're doing. So that's, that's been our experience in our curriculum. I'd, I'd love to chime in. This is Matt from Avila again. Um, I just, I champion that, that way of that uh, path. Um, we, we've sort of found our way in that direction in a lot of ways as a result of the current COVID-19 situation. Um, we, we need to produce uh, plays as part of the, of the training for, for our students. Um, and so that becomes a bit of a challenge, right? And one of the, one of the core um, aspects of Avila University, uh, which is a Catholic university, uh, is the Catholic intellectual and social tradition. So um, the idea being that they're not satisfied with only grounding a theater student's degree solidly in liberal arts, um, but also to have a social action component. And so a big part of that has been, um, I think uh, it's we alternate between a, <laughs> just to give our students an opportunity to to participate in different styles of theater. Uh, every other November, uh, we trade off between either doing a classical of some sort, so we touch on the classics, but then a social justice play. Um, and uh, this year, we decided to go the route of devising um, because we realized we were going to n- probably not be able to house uh, performances in the usual way. And so we looked at promenade style theater where you could take the audience through in small socially distant groups uh, and have performances spaced out throughout a building in larger spaces. And so the students started um, doing moment work online and writing together over Zoom in different groups and uh, orchestrating their own work and dividing up uh, directors and uh, stage managers with different groups. And uh, and I, I love what was just said because uh, that's the kind of work that then they, when they're inspired by, by the kind of thinking outside the box and uh, problem solving, I guess you could say, then taking that back to texts that have already been sort of in place. Uh, what, what do you bring with once you've had a chance to find your voice, how can you now find it in, in this text? Um, and it's very, it's a very exciting process. I think it's really important for students to, to explore. This is Doug. Um, I, our situation is similar to what Paul is talking about. Our student body is almost exclusively high school seniors um, moving right into college. And for us, uh, we've always had a tradition for teaching craft which includes analysis and you know character development for the actors, um, but I think that that has always served well um, when you're trying to move them towards that finding their own voice. 
Um, because if you're going to make something from scratch, how do you think about what it is that you're um, researching and considering? And so having a play that's been uh, produced before, perhaps many times, um, you have a way to think about the structures and the way in which you uh, read through a play like a detective. Um, so there's a balance between them working on material that is um, already been produced as well as by the time they get to the last course in the directing sequence, they have an opportunity to create a piece of device work. And working closely with the rep, the rep's season is oftentimes two-thirds uh, already shows that have been premiered last year. Hannah Sharif opened with Angels in America, Lifespan of a Fact, and Pride and Prejudice. And so it's, it's, it is a model that we're looking at to say, okay, not everything that the rep is doing is a brand new uh, piece of work, although they did some new work. So it's, it's, a, it's a mix. We are watching the American theater confront years of tyrannical and unethical practices during this pandemic especially in regards to racial bias and gender equity. Have these conversations landed on your college campus yet? And if so, what are you doing as leaders to implement these ideas and procedures for your students? This is Doug. Uh, yeah, it has arrived, and, uh, and I feel that it's something that we have been slowly coming to in many ways over the last five or ten years, um, but this summer, specifically, the faculty and staff uh, did a workshop on conscientious theater training um, with Nicole Brewer, and that process allowed us to continue a kind of monthly discussion about how to best uh, serve our BIPOC students. Um, an alumni group has stepped forward to help us talk about what it means for them afterwards, so this advisory board uh, started in the fall. Um, and it's it's examining curriculum, particularly season selection, um, and trying to find ways in which to um, shake out some of the Eurocentric uh, literature that tends to find its way into our seasons on a fairly regular basis. Not to throw the throw out the baby with the bathwater, but um, to be able to be thinking about ways in which uh, voices uh, are changing. Yeah, this is a this is Matt from Avila. Um, very similar, you know. We're, we're really looking at the curriculum and 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 uh, you know, I could. I think we're at a stage right now where we still really can speak mostly to the challenges, and we haven't. You know, I don't believe we're at a place, and I mean universally here. And maybe it's rude of me to speak this way, but where we can say we've all figured this out yet. And I think it's important to know that we're in this process together. Um, and. I think for me, it keeps coming down personally when I look at this uh, to access. Uh, you know, I, we, we want to try and do more diverse uh, texts and more diverse work, but we want to make sure that we have the students to do them in, in some respects, too. And, uh, you know, I, we, I, look at, I look at access is, is why, you know, we were talking about the pipeline a little bit earlier. And when you think about internships and opportunities, um, internships, generally speaking, are not paid. And you start looking down that train and you start seeing who who can afford an internship, who can afford college, and how can we go? And I think it's important, too, that we don't only look at the curriculum and we look at uh, who's teaching and we look at, uh, but but look at how can we get the students who, who might benefit from this training to school. 
and how do we get them to internships that they can afford to take without having to take uh, additional work on the side? Um, I think that's a big, big shift that needs to happen culturally, both between the, the professional world and in, in academia. And we're working on it. I, I feel like it's, we don't have an easy answer on it, and I think it's a collective mission. I completely agree with you. I think free labor is a learned practice, especially in the arts. And I know too many artists whose first checks come, unfortunately, years down the line of them practicing their craft. Oh, I, I just wanted to kind of add to that as too. I, I think institutionally we, we're trying uh, to to collectively look at um, sort of how we do the gatekeeping for this sort of thing. I think um, traditionally there's been a, a heavy interest in making sure that guest artists and guest uh, speakers or adjunct faculty are people who have had a, a quite a bit of time in academia. But if you look at the diverse, um, the, the work of artists who are working professionally uh, in the, in the BIPOC community, not, not, a large number of them are necessarily doctorates in theater, right? Um, they, many of them um, have made their way up even, even without a, um, a master's degree or anything like that. And so I think it's important too for our institutions to start considering, well, what, what constitutes um, uh, value when it comes to education and access to that education? Because uh, we want to be exposing our students to the art that is really happening. Um, and, and that can be an interesting conversation to be had. <laughs> the industry has so much work to do about reevaluating the importance and impact of a credit and how we display these credits for audiences and our collaborators. And the resume for years has been a tool to block access rather than grant it. Um, we know that from people using the phrase like, we don't know anyone BIPOC, or I can't find credible BIPOC talent to hire. We know these ideas are thick with ignorance. And in an effort to create accessibility to your programs, maybe even help attract more diverse bodies to your programs, would you tell us what you specifically are looking for in a student? I'd say, this is Mark at Samford, um, I'd say one of the things that I'm really looking for in a student, who, especially one who wants to focus on directing, is, is curiosity. Um, so many times uh, a student who's coming from a high school curriculum uh, has been told what it is that they should be doing and how they should be doing it. And I'm really invested in those students who, despite that or in, in the face of that, have their own opinion already, that they're, they're asking questions that the student that comes in and asks a thousand questions at an interview or a discussion or comes to see a show and then stays back for a talk back and just is thoughtful and probing, like that's the, that's the student that I want to work with. Uh, this is Doug. Uh, I just, I think Mark, you're also a BA. Uh, Webster's directing program is a BA. All other of our programs are BFA. And um, what is interesting to me is that um, because we have an audition interview uh, right at the very beginning, identifying uh, 18, 17 year olds who think they're directors, it's a fairly small pool. If, if, if I see 20 students, I've had a fantastic year. However, those kids tend to be very driven and very specific in what they want. And because it's a BA, they are academically out in the university more than the BFAs. And I always tell them this is really important because 
if I'm in a room directing, I don't know, The Whipping Man or even Picnic, uh, I'm not talking about theater. I'm talking about all the things that a, a liberal education is going to give you. I'm talking about what's the philosophy of this character, psychologically, why are what they doing what they're doing? Uh, what's the history behind this? And I think that I'm also looking for students who want to be a student in a larger context. Um, this is Matt. Um, I, slightly different uh, response here, though I agree with, uh, with what everybody's been saying about what we, we look for in students. I have been experiencing um, a larger number of students interested in our BFA directing track versus our acting track. And I think a lot of that has to do with this particular generation of students coming out. Um, so they're so practical minded. And I think m my suspicion is that many of them, at least the ones that come through our, our doors, perceive the idea of a directing, uh, it's a directing producing track. So they're also able to be exposed to theater management and stage management and things like that. But uh, I think they perceive that as probably a more job secure path, <laughs> um, which of course I think after after they spend some time with some of the directors, they, they learn it's just as challenging as, as, as acting and in some cases even, even more challenging. Um, but uh, I, I would say that what we look for in our students, and I really think this in all of our theater arts students, is we really look for students who are, I love the word curious that was mentioned before, but curious in each other. Um, when I have students that um, really, really work towards bringing out the best in each other as compared to try to compete in a way to prove to me that they're really good at what they do, but they're actually eager to learn from their peers and work with their peers, um, I find that that collaborative process and that collaborative energy to be vital uh, for success in this career, um, but also for success as f for them as a student, because they can really learn how to rely on one another as a team, which is vital for theater. Professors, thank you so much for joining us today. That is all the time we have. Um, and hopefully this dialogue around equity, diversity, and inclusion at your programs pours out into the community. Uh, as you are molding the future, the future must meet and serve the needs of that community. If you are interested in learning more about these programs, please check out the description of this podcast for a link. We take this conversation to the Northeast next week. For those students who choose to train in and around New York City, what is the expectation of that training? And how are these programs building artists ready to compete with the working professional? Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of Talking Direction. Join us every week by subscribing while you're here. Also, let us know what you think. You can follow us and engage with us directly on all social media platforms with the handle at Drama League. Talking Direction is a project of the Drama League of New York, America's only not-for-profit, lifelong home for stage directors and the audiences who treasure their work on stage, in films, on television, and across the internet. During the pandemic, we're providing essential services to help theater folk and their families who are suffering from economic and health struggles due to COVID-19. If you'd like to join us in this effort, visit dramaleague.org and click donate or become a member. We'd love to have you as part of the Drama League family. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.